Welcome everybody to the first episode, uh, which I will actually let you guys in on a secret. Um, my Peggy and I, we recorded this a few weeks ago and um, with my very limited knowledge of technology, I did not include audio. So she's so gracious and um, is coming on for a second first time. <laughs> so, um, that's wonderful, but I really, I wanted my first episode of the Rise Above series to be Peggy Miles. And um, when I asked her for a little blurb about herself, she said that her career has always been focused in the field of education. And currently she's been working in the ed tech arena and specifically at an organization called Learning Ally, where they offer audiobook solutions for struggling readers. She says, I love to read and to travel with family and friends. And her goal is to always keep learning, both personally and professionally, which I love. And I don't know if I'd asked you this is the, the first time, but um, the first thing I thought of was the most recent place you've been to. That was really cool. If it was, oh, was it well, abroad or was it just in the States? Yeah, it was, we all went to... Um, so Uncle Darwin and William and Riley and I, we went to London and oh. um, Peterborough, England for a week in December. Wow. And, uh, we okay. had a great time. Um, it, it was it was a lot of fun. So not my yeah. first time there, but uh, William and Riley was their first time there. So they were super excited. Yeah. What was their favorite part either food or sites what was what did they enjoy the most I think that they really loved the uh we went to Buckingham Palace and we watched the changing of the guard I think just that the tremendous architecture and the beautiful old buildings uh, as we toured around London and then we went to the war memorial museum the world war ii um Winston Churchill Museum, and that was really impressive, and they love that, too. Wow. I think that's my favorite part about traveling, is the museums. I just think they're so yes. cool. That and the food. And, oh, yeah, the food. The, yeah. the fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've Deep never been. <laughs> To, to London, so I oh, it's on the list. You would love, I would love it. to go. You would love it. I can see you there. Oh well, well thank you. I know everyone there. I is so posh. I mean, I think that's just the. I yes. think that's even a, a British word, posh. It is. Right? Yes. Is it? Yes. Posh. You know, sophisticated. <laughs> they yeah. sound so posh when they say. They do. <laughs> they do. Much um, better than Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And my favorite thing, oh my gosh, every time when, when you hear people of different nationalities try to speak American, I just think it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it is. Valley girl. Yeah. <laughs> really overdone. Exactly. Accent. Yes. I go, there's no way that's what we sound like. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> well, um, for all my listeners who um, maybe didn't get a chance to listen to the intro video that I recorded, um, a little bit about the Rise Above series is 
It's basically a podcast series where I interview guests and I have people, whether it be my family, friends, people I barely know, just anyone that has a really cool story of difficult life circumstances that they lived through and um, they get to tell them. So what happened and, and, you know, life lessons that they learned and advice that they want to give. So um, I will let my aunt Peg kind of start off with her story and um, give us a, a brief overview of her life and some of the things that she's lived through. Okay, great. Thank you, Nicole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So I think um, I would say that the, the, the difficult, um, the, the challenge, I should say, the challenge that I really was faced with at age 29 and then also again at age 49 was being diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, at age 29, that was quite a few years ago. Can't even tell. Uh, <laughs> I won't say the number. Just but <laughs> quite a few, a few decades ago, um, it was it was a challenge simply because most 29 year old women were not diagnosed with breast cancer at that time. So it was really sort of just a shock in that respect. Something I wasn't expecting. Uh, when you're 50 and older, you kind of maybe expect something like that. And then um, just learning how to navigate it and figuring out how to um, handle all the treatment and the, the medical challenges that came with it. Uh, and then, you know, thinking, okay, I've been through this, I'm cured and everything. And then 20 years later, almost exactly to the day, being diagnosed again uh, out of the blue really was uh, just like, wow, okay, I need to do this again. <laughs> and <What> why? <laughs> <laughs> what did I do this time? I don't know. Uh, so, uh, but actually, you know, obviously going through it before, then getting diagnosed a second time, it I knew what to do. So it was easy. It was easier in that respect of understanding how to navigate this whole world of uh, when you get diagnosed with cancer, you know, all of the million different appointments that you have to make and, um, you know, everything that the doctors tell you and weighing the pros and cons of the different types of treatments and so on and so forth. So anyway, um, yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about the fact that there might be a mean age or for, is mean the right one? Median. Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't yeah. know why I'm trying to use math terms right now. An average. <laughs> an average age. Average. There we go. Average. For, because, I, you know, I've heard of, obviously we hear of children, really small children, it seems, will get cancer and then um, you, you, you will see it a lot in adults. So I guess... Does it not really, or is it not a a serious threat to, you know, young twenties and thirties? So it's it's rare. The, the breast cancer certainly is not common in people who are in their twenties or early thirties. I think it's not till maybe you're forty or older. 
that the numbers start to increase exponentially as far as, um, you know, people who men and women, I shouldn't just, I shouldn't exclude men from this. They get breast cancer as well. But um, yeah, it is kind of not common to get it in your 20s for sure. Yeah. And at the time, if I remember correctly, you were living in Milwaukee. So Wisconsin. Yes. Yes. What what was your career? You started off, you've been in education, right? For your entire I have. So I started off as a teacher. And so I was teaching in Milwaukee public schools and, um, you know, working. And uh, so, so yeah, um, I was single at the time. And, but my boyfriend at the time was, is now my husband, your uncle Darwin. So anyway, uh, he's been through, through it with me for both times all the way, which has been wonderful and a huge support, but, um, yeah. So. And what grade were you teaching? Did did they know? So when you got diagnosed, was it something, were they too young to share that or? Yeah, I didn't share the, I, I. I was out just a couple of weeks and then, um, you know, went back in, but I didn't really share. I just shared that I'm going to have to have surgery and uh, be out a little bit, but, you know, they, they were more concerned about who their substitute teacher was going to be. Right? Of course they were. <laughs> They're like, man, the cool girl's gone. <laughs> what are we going to do? Sub. <laughs> For two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so when you and I'm, I'm trying to um, recall the story that you had told me when we had initially talked you just noticed something odd right and then yeah yeah just felt a lump and so didn't really think anything of it but went to the doctor and at the time they were like oh you know it's probably nothing and then uh they did a biopsy and came back and said, wow, it's, it is cancerous. So, uh, and then things moved rather quickly and surgery and then having um, chemotherapy after the surgery. And, um, you know, that seemed to work very well. So it was basically six months, right? Of the surgery and then six months of the chemo. And I worked through most of it simply because the kids I, I didn't want to, what was I going to do? Just sit at home, you know, um, working and teaching really kept my mind off of things. And uh, they just gave me the energy working with the kids to keep going every day. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you remember, you know how sometimes, at least in my life, I, I have, I'll have these weird, vivid memories of, I was sitting in my car on a Tuesday afternoon when, you know, when you connect this very present and you paint a picture in your mind with something really big that happened in your life. So do you remember what, how you felt or just that moment when you were in the doctor's office and thinking nothing's wrong? And then he says, it's cancerous. Yeah, that's such a good question. Cause I do remember that vividly both times so it was right around Christmas. And so I was on Christmas break. And so I went for the biopsy on December 23rd. And they just were like, oh, you know, we'll send this off and 
don't worry about it. It shouldn't be anything. And then on December 26th, the day, right, day after Christmas, I got a phone call in the morning and it was the doctor's office and they, you know, called to say, well, it's cancerous and, you know, you need to come in right away and we need to start um, making plans and, you know, getting your course of treatment set up and scheduled. So yeah, it was Gosh. really weird. Wow. So you must've been with um, grandma and grandpa and were, were you with everyone? I, well, I was living alone at the time in Milwaukee. So no, I was, you know, I was just in my apartment because I must've come back on Christmas Eve, driven back maybe to my apartment, if I remember that correctly. But yeah, so I was, yeah. And it was just kind of one of those moments where it's like, really? I need to let this sink in because this is something I thought I would never hear. And when you're in your 20s, as you are, you just think you're invincible and you think that nothing like this would happen. And so um, that makes it, even a little bit harder because you just, you do, you feel young and healthy in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I constantly have to remind myself that, you know, to just, or a good example is being alert while driving and just being like, Hey, an accident can happen anytime. You have yes. to be vigilant. Cause it, we, I think, yeah, as if being in your twenties, it's so easy to just have this mindset of, yeah, I'm good. Nothing's going to happen to me. Nothing's going to happen to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the second time when you got diagnosed, you know, I, I remember when we had our first conversation, um, you know, I was just kind of asking what were your initial thoughts? And you had told me that you're like, I'm, I'm, you know, it wasn't negative at all. It was, but this is something I'm going to fight and overcome. So that second time around, how did you combat just feelings of negativity? Because I'm sure, you know, you just said, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened again. Did you have a moment where you just kind of let yourself be frustrated and upset with the world? And and then how did you come back from that to fight it the second time? Yeah, I mean, definitely for sure. I was... I, I would certainly questioning, okay, so why, why again, you know, and I, I am a firm believer in that you learn from everything, even from the worst things ever, you know, there's definitely something to learn from that and to grow from that. And, um, so I, you know, kept asking myself, all right, so if I'm going through this again, what is it that I'm supposed to be learning? What, why is this challenge in front of me again? And I think what I was most upset about is, you know, this time, the second time having children, you know, because my immediate thought was, I, you know, don't, I don't want anything to happen that I'm not here for them. You know, I, I have to fight this and beat this because I have William and Riley and I, you know, want to see them grow up and be a grandmother and all those wonderful things. Yeah. Cause they were how old when they were, uh, in eighth grade and sixth. No, they were in 
maybe eighth grade and sixth grade or ninth grade and seventh grade. I can't remember. So young. So young. That's still yeah. pretty young. It, that yeah. it was, it was, it was young. So, and that, that's a hard age, especially for boys to kind of navigate that and understand all of that. But, um, you know, they were great through it. And so, yeah, that was really my strength is just to be there, fight and be there for them. Mm-hmm. And what an amazing example to have your own mom just be this person that demonstrates, you know, hey, life will give you really hard things that yeah. might seem impossible to get through or to get over. But, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that that plays out in their lives and probably will for and impact them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I hope that they can use that as an example when they face their own challenges, certainly. And, um, you know, can see that people can handle, you can handle hard things, especially if you use your family as a support and a network to help you through. I mean, my goodness, your mom, my sisters were all there for me. They were so, I couldn't have gotten through it without them helping me and, and being there. So it, you know, it, it also, um, you realize the importance of family and, uh, and how we're there for each other in difficult times. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing. I love that you said earlier that even in the worst things that can happen, there's a silver lining or there's something good. And if, if not, you know, let's say there's nothing you can think of that would be a benefit or a positive that comes out of a terrible situation. I think at least the bare minimum is simply that people unite together, that tragedy truly. I I don't know what it is about humans or people, but I mean, we really just come together, you know, and and you see it not just in families, but like in communities or as a country, you know, being able to unify over something really difficult that happened. And exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. You really, you know, you just, I was so appreciative and amazed and humbled by people in the support and the help that they would, or that they gave me. And uh, yeah, it's, it is, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. So the first time, six months, which seems I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about being diagnosed with cancer. I do know there are different stages. And so I'm sure it would have been a very different, you know, situation if it was stage four versus stage one. Mm-hmm. Did you, going through chemotherapy, I mean, I've just heard horrible things about it and it's just so difficult. What was it like going through your first time compared to your second time? Was that, would you, would you say the most difficult part of having cancer, the the most difficult thing to live through? Yeah, I think the chemo is just the, I mean, you know that you're going through that treatment and that treatment is supposed to help you, but it makes you feel so awful. And when I went through it the first time, um, the drugs have changed quite a bit. Uh, And so the drugs have improved tremendously in 
how your body reacts. So the first time I went through it, it was, you just, you just feel yucky and awful, but you know, in the end, it's supposed to help you. And it did, obviously it helped me. Um, and it cured me for 20 years. So that was great. Um, but yeah, I would say the chemotherapy. And then the second time around, I was like, okay, I think it was almost harder because I knew what I was getting into and I knew how it would feel, but I also knew that, you know, it's only going to, um, it's only going to cure me. So with that knowledge, I can suffer through the side effects. <laughs> yeah. Was it, um, because I, I have this distinct memory, um, as a little girl of your amazing dark hair with the white stripe down the middle. I'll never forget that. I, I'm, I'm going to do that when, when I'm a mom, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm a cool mom. <laughs> and I remember being really sad that, um, it was, it was gone that, you know, yes. you had cancer. And so did you lose your hair the first time or was it just the second time? Like how long was it's just six months when you were 49 as well? Or it seemed like it was more intense, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it, yes. Um, so the first time I lost part of my hair, but not all of it. And then the second time I lost all of my hair. Yes, it was a little bit stronger drugs um, because it was a it was stage three. And I think the first time it was stage two, maybe. Um, so, yes. So that was that was traumatic. Actually, I think losing my hair was probably the hardest. That's so terrible. Like, I love my hair. I, I mean, I you're know. safe for that alone. Just the hair part. <laughs> <laughs> yes you're looking at yourself completely bald is just not a, an enjoyable thing <laughs> no and the did wigs you, are oh oh that was going to be my question did you so did yeah. you buy a wig or um I did wig? I did and and because I went back to work and everything like that and I just um I was very self-conscious. I always thought people were looking at me like, oh, that lady has a wig on. And uh, so it, it, I really became very, very self-conscious. And then finally I got to the point where I would start, my hair was starting to grow back. And I was just like, oh, off with the wig. And all right, I'll walk around with really short hair. And it, my hair grew back white. Uh, so that was awful too. That was traumatic as well. <laughs> you're like I just got aged 30 years <laughs> <laughs> right exactly um yeah. but you know I, I've managed to turn that around and fix that with um, good old hair coloring but yeah so yeah. it's that was that was not fun mm -hmm. I, I couldn't even imagine to because it's I mean I definitely struggle with caring what people think about me and letting go of that. And I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, being like, Oh, people know it's a wig and, and on top of everything that you have to deal with, just right. being afraid that people are looking at you weird. I mean, that's yes. just, yes. But, you know, I kept reminding myself really, I actually had nothing to be upset about because 
people endure so much more so than what I've gone through. And I, I had to keep that in perspective all the time. Okay. So I lose my hair, my hair will grow back. I didn't lose um, the use of my legs and end up in a wheelchair. You know, I, I just needed to keep things in perspective and um, know that I needed to be incredibly thankful. Mm -hmm. Which is so commendable because I think a lot of people, myself included, for sure, I, I I really kind of have to fight for that in my life. Like, it's almost my default response is, uh, you know, woe is me and kind of throw in a little bit of kind of a natural I, human reaction, right? Yes, I'm sure everybody can relate. Like, you know, you're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And it's so easy to have a negative attitude about it. And, you know, I, I think it, you have to be really intentional about finding some outlet. So I'm, I'm actually curious, you know, if you, if you journaled at the time, or maybe if you had someone you talked to or, but I know for me, like I start my mornings off and I write three things that I'm grateful for, you know, as small oh, as I love that it's nice outside today to, you know, I'm thankful that I have a car, just anything, anything. Cause yes. I mean, there are a million things. And so just positioning your mind to remind yourself of how many things you have. So what do you do anything in particular or did you, you know, now in your life now or when you were going through cancer? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I did. Um, I did journal quite a bit when I was going through that because uh, that really helped, you know, just to kind of write your thoughts and your feelings, just getting your feelings on paper was therapeutic. And for me, also just reading, I whatever I could get my hands on as far as any information about breast cancer and treatments and, um, you know, non-traditional types of therapies that you can do to help yourself feel better, to, you know, work toward um, curing yourself, all of that. So just... Um, really sinking myself into books and learning as much as I can empowered me. And uh, that was great. So the journaling with the reading really was, I think, a good recipe for me to, to stay positive and feel like I'm uh, in charge and taking action and trying to, um, you know, control the situation. Yeah. Yeah, like in a, a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> a, a sur not just a, uh, I'm going to survive this mentality, but I'm actually going to thrive. Yeah, right, and, right, and, right. And flourish, exactly. through, you know, throughout this. Yeah, which is something I've recently just been really trying to implement into my life of um, even just really tiny things. Like, you know, sometimes I'll just dread working out and I'll be like, okay, I just got to get through it. And just those small little things, and, you know, if you change your mindset on them, it's easier to change your mindset on the bigger things, but being like, no, Nicole, you're going to go and you're going to enjoy working out and you're going to do your best. You know, there's no need to survive through it. Like let's thrive, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. exactly. I, I agree with you. I think the power of the mind and 
you know, they're really coming out with such tremendous research about the mind-body connection now, more so than ever before. Um, and I just think it's it's amazing. And I think you're right. I think, you know, just, I love starting that. I love that. I think I'm going to start doing that, starting your day with just writing down three little things that you're thankful for. That's a that's an amazing way to start your day. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, yeah, it is. I actually... Mm-hmm. Um, small plug for this amazing journal. It's on Amazon. I don't know how I found it, but, and I honestly forget what it's called, but I think I can link some stuff. Um, so listener, if you need, if you need a journal, but it's so awesome because it, um, it very uniquely lays out your quarter by quarter and then month by month, week by week and day by day. And it has your morning routine and then your workday startup ritual, workday ending ritual, yeah. evening routine. So, um, and I'm a creature of habit for sure. I really just enjoy mm-hmm. getting into routine and um, it's been such a great resource. So now I, everything I do in my morning routine is just through the, through the, oh, through the journal. So that's really, that's so good. Yes. Yeah. I think we thrive in um, routines. We we just do, I think, for sure. I know kids do. As a teacher, you always establish routines with your, as a mom, you establish routines with your children and um, routines with ourselves is most important. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I, yes, I, I definitely, I don't know if my mom had ever told you, and I just think it's, so hilarious now it's just kind of a tangent but you know people just think it's hilarious I'm homeschooled right and they're like no way you're so normal how's that possible <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like okay that's fair um but and I'm like yeah well my mom did have us wear uniforms inside of our home so we would get up and and but that was our routine every single day and regimented schedule makes and- sense you get up, put your uniform on, and then you're in school and you do school and then you take your uniform off when you're done with school. And so I think that's that probably, was really smart. Oh, yes. That's yeah. like routines and habits are one of the things I learned from her, I think. Honestly. Yeah. Oh, yes. Your mom is very routine. Yes. Right. It's that military background, I swear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I did want to ask you about... um the, when we talked the the first time you were telling me about this amazing book you read and how, um, you, you use meditation or affirmations or something about the cancer cells. So I just kind of wanted you to share that again. Cause I just thought that was really cool. Yes. Um, it was this wonderful book that I can't remember somebody recommended to me and I, um, I loved it. It really changed things because it, the book was written by a man who had overcome cancer. And uh, one of the things that he wrote about was visualization and how that can really be a very powerful technique to use uh, as you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And he would run a lot and he visualized as the sweat was pouring out of his body that the cancer cells were 
um, coming out with the with the sweat. And that was just a very positive way for him to kind of think about or to fight um, the cancer. And I was a big runner at the time. And so I was like, oh, that's so cool. I can do that. And so it I would do that as well. Um, and it just it it was powerful for me, too. It really helped. Um, is just one other way to kind of deal with the challenge of, you know, fighting it. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to what you were saying before too, of the, you're taking control of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, And you have that power and you're running. And and so so did you, you, did you run during chemotherapy? Were you still able to? Or I did not nearly as much as I used to, but it was kind of one of these things where it was like, okay, I'm not going to just completely stop. And exercise was one of the things that they said is really important to continue to try to do. And if you can't run, then okay, walk or whatever, but just keep moving. And uh, so I did. And it, it helped a lot. You know, maybe some days you're just like, ugh. I don't want to do this, but you feel good when you're done. Yeah, for sure. No, that's, I mean, and that's, I think I've recently have kind of shifted my view on health and wellness from, a, oh, I, you know, I, I eat well, or I work out to look good versus, you know, I really realize, oh my gosh, I want to take the best care of my body. I mean, obviously things are going to happen inevitably to you. Very healthy at 29. And so scary things and, and, you know, bad things can still happen. But now I think of like my future kids or being a grandma and, and, and just wanting to be involved and and have the rigor and strength and ability to do so. And um, I think it's made me just look at health and my body very differently, kind of perspective more, I think. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I like. Definitely. Exactly. Kind of um, somebody, and I can't remember if I said this the last time, but somebody said to me, or I was listening to a podcast and they're like, you're the CEO of your body. Um, Which was like, yeah, we are, aren't we? We're the CEOs of our body and we make all the decisions about what we put in our body and how we move our body and this and that. And, um, you know, so make good decisions and, and your body will treat you well, or, you know, hopefully. So I, I, I just liked that. I was like, nobody, I had never heard that before. And it was literally maybe six months ago that I was listening to this podcast and they said that it's like, yeah, oh, that's really? so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love how big podcasts are, but they're just such a thing oh my now. Gosh, I, I think that's podcasts. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. You learn so much. You do. Yeah. My, um, I, I think we had talked about this last time, but Dr. Huberman, Andrew Huberman. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he is awesome. He is awesome. Goodness. I learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing better than going out for a long walk or a run or whatever, or working out and a good podcast. It just is like, that's a, that's such a great combination. It's therapeutic. It is therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, you know, before, before we close out, I think, um, I'd love for you to just leave the audience with 
maybe a piece of advice or one of the biggest things that you learned having to go through cancer twice and just what you've taken away from that, especially if, you know, whoever's listening, maybe they're not going through cancer specifically, but some other health issue or, um, yeah, I could just hear some encouragement. Yeah. I mean, I think what I would like to, hopefully anybody who's going through a struggle or a challenge is to know that you don't have to go through it alone, that there's, you know, there will be someone or people in your life to support you through it and to let them help you through it. That's really important. And just to understand that at some point you're going to learn, you'll grow and learn from whatever the challenges that you're going through and that you will be a better person when you come out on the other side of that challenge. It might take six months. It might take five years. You know, who knows? It may, it might be a learning process every single day, but um, I do think there's, there's a reason why we go through it and we grow from it and learn from it. Well, thank you. And that was Aunt Peggy, everyone. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and tune into the next episode.